B-Pod Studios. What are the new trends emerging quickly that impact our business? Who are the thought leaders bringing these new products to market? And what lessons in leadership can we bring to our everyday life? Beasley Media Group Executive Vice President of Strategy and Innovation, Buzz Knight, brings all of this to life with this podcast, Healthy Paranoia. On this edition of Healthy Paranoia, Buzz Knight speaks with Michael Solomon, the author of Marketers Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer. Michael is a professor in the Department of Marketing at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, and his insights of today's consumer gives us an interesting roadmap to navigating the challenges of marketing in today's noisy world. Now, here's Buzz Knight. Michael Solomon, thanks for joining us here on Healthy Paranoia. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. So what was the motivation uh, with your book, Marketers Tear Down These Walls? What, uh, what got you most fascinated uh, around the topic and how to liberate the postmodern consumer? Well, I've been, you know, I've been teaching and doing research and consulting and so on, on on the topic of consumer behavior for, I hate to say it, about 30 years. And, and during that time, obviously, there's, there's been a huge amount of change and disruption going on. And what I realized is that, you know, when you, when you go back and, and revisit some of the really basic concepts that we teach students today, we, um, we have to revisit those because the, actually many of them are no longer valid. And so what I realized is that, that there are a number of what I call walls. So the title of the book, you know, tear down these walls, the walls that we've erected. We love to put customers into tidy little categories and in so doing, we think we understand them and we walk away happy. But, but the reality is that customers, uh, you know, people today don't like to be put it, put into these categories, and they they love to climb out of them. And they're not, you know, they're not nearly as uh, as obedient as as we'd like them to be. They don't always listen to what we want them to listen to, as I'm sure you realize. And and so the book is really about identifying some of those basic categories and and hopefully showing uh, showing readers that. They need to step back and question a lot of their assumptions about what makes people tick today. And I love how you start it. Before we get into the categories, I'd love to hear about that. But I love how you talk about grab your sledgehammer, uh, breach that wall that separates you from your customers, and then you uh, give the profound advice, get out of your office and meet the people who love your brand. I, I love that because it's so grassroots. Yeah, and it's it seems like duh, common sense, you know. But but the fact is, and I've seen this a lot of times, and when I've worked with companies, you you speak to the people who are dealing with customers, and they're they're imagining what they want their customers to be. You know, they're they're dealing with a customer who's their fantasy customer, and that doesn't necessarily match the reality on the ground. So yeah, you know. Uh, you know, management by walking around. We hear a lot about that. Well, it should be marketing by walking around as well. And who are some companies, in your opinion, that really get that? Well, you've got the usual suspects. You know, you've got you've got Nike, you've got Apple. Everybody loves loves to talk about these guys. Um, I think some of the clothing brands that are that are starting to shake free of old categories. Levi Strauss is one that I've, I've worked. I have worked with them over the years. I think they're doing a pretty good job of that. Um, you know, mo- 
Honestly, most most brands, traditional brands, are kind of still stuck back ten years ago in terms of of this. Everybody's trying to change. It's, I don't want to I don't want to say that they're not, but but really, you know, in terms of understanding that it it's the customer today who drives the train. It is not you, the marketer. That's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. But once you once you manage to do it, you realize there's a lot of opportunities. Like like we were saying, going out and talking with customers, getting uh, getting your customers to sell for you. We know that 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 that's very powerful. Uh, and so the brands that are that are doing that really are, I think, seeing some success, especially in terms of dealing with um, with the, the fabled millennials and Gen Zs and all the all the young people coming up that are going to change our our world. So talk about the the various walls that you suggest are necessary for marketers to be breaking down. Well, some you know some of them are just standard demographics, like uh, young versus old, rich versus poor, male versus female. The these are largely obsolete, and you know we can we can see how that's working in our culture today. Lots of controversies about that, but when you think about the the music and radio pro- programming, for example, that people listen to, I, I think there's a lot more diversity there than than we assume. And just by you know knowing that somebody is a 50 year old male who lives in an urban area, blah blah blah, we don't necessarily know what he. Well, we may know what he's listening to, but we not, don't necessarily know what he wants to listen to if he has the choices available. So a lot of these walls relate to personalizing the content that, that you're getting. Um, you know, we can talk about walls in the, in the music industry, but more generally, you know, and, and one wall that's relevant there, I think, is the, the wall between producers and consumers, and obviously, the music industry is experiencing a shift, just like others, uh, other industries, where consumers are now becoming their own music producers. Uh, they're producing a lot of different products. They're suggesting ideas for products. They're they're uh, they're creating their own promotional spots for products. So they're taking on a lot of the roles that traditional marketers play and that, you know, where they think they have to be highly trained in order to do that. Um, you know, it t- all it takes is a few clever people with a little bit of technology and, you know, who knows, they might even be able to make a podcast someday that's about a tenth as good as yours. I, I hope not, but it could happen. <laughs> You're being very kind. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you you defined um, the aspect of how consumers uh you know deal with this by calling it the omni channel consumer can you talk about that well sure you know we hear a lot of buzz these days oh pardon the pun uh we hear a lot of talk these days about omni channel marketing and that you know it's almost becoming a cliche but it's of course very a very valuable perspective because it reminds us that you know when you're putting together a promotional mix Again, you've got to break down walls, and omni-channel means you, you've got to be wherever the customer is. Um, and then if, if you take that argument a step further, we can talk about the omni-channel consumer who is really, uh, I guess you might say, finding the building blocks of his or her life in a lot of different places. And so what you have today are consumers who are not constrained, again, by these 
traditional walls where they're going to find inspiration for their own lives. They're going to do a lot more sampling. So it it kind of reminds me of, you know, I guess uh, I'm no expert on hip-hop music, but when you talk about G- DJs who sample different pieces of music and put them together, that's the way I like to think of, of consumers today. They're constantly sampling lots of different things, and, and that means that your content can't just necessarily live in the traditional places where you think they're going to find it. You you need to be wherever they are because they're sampling 24-7. And, of course, a lot of the sampling is being done for them by their so-called friends. You know, in the old days, we had friends. We, we actually knew what they looked like and who they were. But today we have friends we've never met on Facebook and so on. But they're they're tremendously influential. So that whole curation process of you know who gets to put together these little samples who gets to be the dj of your life i i think it's an interesting question for people in in communications industries because it it says you know on the one hand we have the argument that you know advertising is dead consumers are just going to make their own stuff and we're not going to have a job in five years and i i don't think that's true but but with this omni-channel world, what it means to me is that, for example, a, a radio programmer or somebody like that, that I think of as a curator or a gatekeeper, you know, their their job is actually much more profound because there's so much more content out there today. It's physically impossible for any consumers to, to actually process that. And so uh, radio programmers, uh, you know, DJs, radio executives, in addition to their counterparts in other industries like in advertising and in food and fashion and so on, really have to think of themselves as cultural editors who are controlling this massive flow of information and making it much more manageable for people. And then when you uh, when you really talk about you know the degree of difficulty here and the importance of you know getting it right with content the other thing that really two points really stuck with me in the book first of all how you talk about uh, uh, the zero moment of truth factor which is critical and then the other one that you talk about is the uh, post-purchase evaluation and how it's more expensive to acquire a new customer uh, than to keep the old one. Um, can you talk about that? Well, absolutely. You know, that's a that's a lesson that everybody needs to revisit. You know, and uh, th- this notion that the way your success is measured, you know, the metric that you use is how many customers you have. Um, that's great. All things equal, I'd rather have more than than less. But the real value lies in cultivating. You know what we sometimes called the lifetime customer value of your existing customers and recognizing that, you know, as, as you said, it's much more expensive to get every incremental new person because I'm starting from scratch with them. But if I've got, let's say, loyal listeners to a radio show, I mean, that is the best resource that you have ever. And, and of course, uh, not only are they, are they accounting for a large number of listening hours, you probably know the you know, the famous 80-20 rule, which is that that 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers, but they also are your best sales force. You know, they are your evangelists who are going, if they really believe in you, 
um, they have you know they have a lot of stakes psychologically to justify the fact that you know you're their favorite uh, program. And one way we we rationalize our choices is by convincing other people that we made a great choice. So, uh, you know, you've got this hardcore group of customers that you are already in your corner, and so many companies. I won't say ignore them, but they take them for granted and they just assume they're going to be, if they were here today, they're going to be here tomorrow. And they don't do enough to really uh, just even reward them for their patronage, but even more importantly, involve them as partners in the process of generating new content. So, you know, what I like to say is in the old days, we marketed to people. And today, if we're smart, we market with people. And that little word, you know, going from to to with is an enormously different perspective on how you relate to your customers. And the other part that really resonated in that is uh, how you'd say follow up after the sale and vigorously court your customers. Uh, I love that. Yeah, well, so many so many mindsets are so, are transactional where people say, well, my goal is to make a sale, and once I do that, ka-ching, I'm off to the golf course. And, of course, you know, I, I mean, unless you're selling, a, a, you know, I don't know, I was going to say Girl Scout cookies, but that's very, that even that is building a, a relationship or, 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 you know, capitalizing on one you already have. Almost everything we do is relationship selling and, you know, and certainly in the music industry and the radio business and so on, you know, that's your, the, 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 the sounds that come out of the radio are, should be your, your guide, you know, they, that should be your friend who's guiding you through all the complexities of life in one way or the other, either by curating the music for you, curating the news that you're hearing, uh, just giving you advice. And so, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's all about lifetime value, and of course that means keeping track, obviously, of who these people are, you know, what their preferences are, so that, uh, not not in a creepy way, so that, you know, you, you know everything about them necessarily, but you know enough to be dangerous. I mean, you know enough to be able to predict what they're going to do, because, you know, the best predictor, excuse me, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So the more I know about your pattern of listening, for example, uh, the more educated uh, my estimate will be about what you're going to want in the future, even if you don't necessarily know it yet. And as you're uh, talking about this, uh, I'm thinking about the fact that you're in Philadelphia and uh, our company is the owner of one of the greatest stations in America, greatest rock stations, 93.3 WMMR in Philadelphia. And so much of what you talk about uh, resonates as a result of how that station has, uh, you know, thrived and prospered uh, through many generations. Uh, I think you could probably agree as a member of that community, right? Well, there's no question, you know, and especially today, I think, if someone decides to consume their music via a traditional radio station, uh, they're in a sense they're making they're making a sacrifice and they're making a statement. In other words, they're what they're saying is I'm going to um, you know in order to hear let's say the DJs that that make a difference to me, I'm going to put up with the other things, and frankly, I'm going to put up with the advertising that that I that's going to be uh, that I'm going to hear and 
so when I say sacrifice, you know, I, I mean it in the sense that that you're consciously willing to forego, you know, let, let's say a different modality with no ads in order to cultivate that relationship you have with uh, with a certain program. So, yeah, I mean, today I think uh, a traditional, you know, a radio listener it, it probably is very, very loyal to certain programs, to certain um, people on the radio. And, and obviously they're, you know, as you know, I think they're more loyal to the individuals than they are to the station. So if that person moves to a different station, you know what's going to happen. Absolutely. How, how do you think radio can benefit from uh, collaborative innovation? Yeah, well, again, this is, you know, th- this is the wave of the future where we, uh, you know, that wall comes down, as I mentioned, between producing and consuming. And, and so, you know, I'm going to interpret your question when you say collaborative, I'm going to assume you mean with working with listeners to create programming. Is Am I correct? Or, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we we know that that personalization is you know I don't want to say it's the the secret sauce but it's it's one of them um, you know there's a lot of research that shows that that when people play a role in literally constructing what they consume they're much more loyal to it sometimes it's called the IKEA effect uh, meaning that um, you know if you build that bookcase. I don't know about you. I usually have a few nails left over. It's kind of scary. But uh, but if you you know if you build that bookcase as opposed to just buying it preassembled, it you've invested more of yourself in it, and therefore you're going to be much more attached to that. So uh, if you know if we can kind of extrapolate to the to your industry, we can assume that when people are able to play a more proactive role in determining the content that they will hear, their loyalty level is going to go through the roof. And so it could be, for example, curating playlists, uh, you know, doing maybe doing more on traditional radio that that you'll sometimes see on on Internet radio and so on, where listeners are contributing playlists to the station. Uh, And it could be a group of people who contribute that playlist. And, you know, it could even be a little competitive where you have, I don't know, three different groups submitting playlists and then your listeners vote on who, who nailed it, you know. But that kind of collaboration, uh, you know, not not locking people out and, you know, saying, oh, we're going to surprise them tomorrow with what they're going to hear. Well, they're, that's fine to a point. But I think when, when listeners feel that they're part of that community, and we use that word over and over, I don't want it to become too trite, but feeling that you're part of a community and that's what happens with some of these popular stations like WMMR um, you know that there there's just no substitute for that because at the end of the day as you know uh, in today's world the listener you know if they want to hear song X they they don't have to tune into your station to to listen to it that's not why they're tuning into your station they're tuning in because they want to be part of something bigger and they don't want to just be so to speak, in the audience, they want to be on the stage as well to some extent. So anytime you can ramp up your uh, your customer, your listener's level of engagement by actively soliciting and respecting their opinions, there's just 
you know, there's no limit in terms of, of the, the level of cohesiveness you'll create, which in turn leads to loyalty, which is the holy grail. So uh, when you observe uh, marketing that goes on for radio stations, uh, what do you generally observe? Uh, well, too too many really bad commercials. Um, but, you know, it's... <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that the shows that really succeed, you know, the, the big advantage that radio has today is ironically that it's more high-touch than high-tech. And, you know, it's much more local. And so, therefore, again, it, you, you know, it becomes the voice of a community. You know, that could be expressed uh, through words or through music or both. But I think that I think the stations that that really resonate with people are the ones that that say, you know, we are the authentic voice of your community, and so we are your mouthpiece. We're not we're not just some impersonal, you know, corporate entity that you you're never going to get to know and we could be broadcasting from new york city and you know you're in the heartland um we don't really care about you and it's all just canned so uh so i think again that word personalization is so important um to the extent that you can customize the mix of content that you're providing and again make the listeners feel like they had a role in determining that so lastly, Michael, you have the boots on the ground in your role as a professor with uh, the pulse of um, a generation. <laughs> How should we be thinking about that generation that you're, that you're teaching and, and how our industry and stations should reach them? Because it's a big question and a big yeah. concern for us as well. I'd say be afraid, be very afraid. <laughs> these these kids, uh, you know, they are different. Um, obviously, to, I'm generalizing, but clearly much shorter attention span for one. And so narrative programming is a problem, you know, where you're telling a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, they want to skip right to the end. And so... What I found is, you know, and I have the same challenge in a sense that you do, you know, I walk, I have an audience that I'm trying to engage and, um, you know, they could have that radio on but not be listening and that's the way I feel when I lecture sometimes. So, again, you know, young people, what do they want? Well, they want authenticity, they want connection, they want what I call brand genealogy, which is they, they want to know the backstory, you know, when they when they choose to patronize a brand, whether it's a whether it's a Whole Foods or whether it's a radio station, what have you, uh, they they're in it. They they want to really know what what is that station doing in the community? Uh, maybe how are they uh, how are they promoting various charitable causes, et cetera? And I think local radio personalities do that quite well. You know, when they go out on promotions and so on, um, they they enjoy that kind of thing. And again, you know, they live in a world of sampling where they have um, yeah, and, it, it, you know, it amazes me that, you know, they can they can literally call up any or any of us can can call up any 
any uh, music that's been produced in the last, you know, thousand years, and and it, it exists somewhere, you know, in some archive. So, what they're looking for again is curation. I mean, when you, I, I think it's useful to take a page. I always tell people, don't don't look at what your industry's doing. Or just look at that. Look at what other industries are doing and the problems that they have. So take a look at, for example, the fashion industry. And I I do a lot of work with people there. Um, You know, who are the drivers in that industry? And it's not, of course, the old guard anymore. You know, it's not Vogue magazine anymore. It's some, you know, 18-year-old girl sitting in her bedroom and pulling stuff out of her closet and talking about it on 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 a video. And so, again, that notion of curation of, and of influencers is extremely important. So you've got, you've got certain tastemakers or influencers, whatever word you want to use, in your audience. And, uh, you know, they may be young people who don't have any formal radio experience, but in today's world, you know, they're, uh, radio executives are kind you know, you're kind of like the editor of Vogue magazine. You think you've got a lot of power, and you do. But the way you wield that power has to be very different today. And again, it has to be much more collaborative, as we've discussed. It has to be authentic. It has to focus on the backstory. So, you know, to the extent that, I mean, life is a podcast to these kids. And so you need to think of it that way, that they're constantly tuning in and out of your podcast. And you need to give them the, the the justification to do that because obviously they have so many other choices out there. So involving them more proactively in the programming decisions you make, uh, even inviting them to, to be guest DJs or however you structure that is probably worth a shot. Michael Solomon, thank you for the time today on Healthy Paranoia. Oh, thanks for having me on. This has been Healthy Paranoia with Buzz Knight and today's guest, Michael Solomon, author of Marketers Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer. Thanks for listening to Healthy Paranoia with Buzz Knight. Production assistance provided by Boston Beasley Media Group's Mark Clark. BackstageCountry.com, your online home for all things country music. There are lots of country music couples we love to watch. They sing about their love and bring it to life in the music they share with fans. Text COUPLES to 45911 to learn more about five couples we think were and are country music magic. Text COUPLES to 45911 to get a link to the list sent right to your phone from BackstageCountry.com.